Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Alejandro, one of the pastors at PRC. Thank you for everyone. Good morning to everyone, my beloved PRC church, and also good morning to you that are maybe visiting with us for the first time. I thank the Lord for this wonderful uh, opportunity that he, he gives me to bring you the word of the Lord. We are in the book of 1 Samuel. We are almost at the end. Today we're going to review 1 Samuel chapter 29. If you want to have your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you uh, in the welcoming center over there in the corner. You may go after we are done today and you can have your own Bible. I grew up in a Christian family attending church every week. Maybe you can relate with me. As a teenager and part of the youth group, I began to hear gossip about couples that were dating within the youth group that were intimately involved without being married. This impacted me negatively and also how I viewed my youth leaders. It made me question what it is to be a true follower of Christ. As time passed, I understood that there were believers in my church who lived a double life. That is, with one foot in the world and the other in the church, which apparently was natural, regular, and normal. And I also understood it was better not to talk about it. Maybe today some of you could identify with this. The truth is that there is a high risk for the believer, the Son of God, to fall and remain in this double standard of life. As it happened to David, that despite his rebellion and lack of faith, God was kind and patient with him. This is the main idea. Despite our rebellion and lack of faith, God in Christ is kind and patient with his children. The Apostle Paul puts it, puts it this way in Romans chapter 2 verse, two, verse 4, or do you underestimate the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience Ignoring that God's kindness leads you to repentance. We're coming to the end of the first book of Samuel, and we can conclude that it has been a very enriching experience for each of us. Let's go to our Bibles. I'm going to read from the first book of Samuel, chapter 29, verses 1 through 11. This is the inerrant word of the Lord, our God. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he deserted to me, 
I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to the battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For now, could this fellow reconcile himself to the Lord, to his Lord that is Saul? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is this not David, of whom they sing to one another in dances, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the date of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now, then arise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather together in this building this morning, Lord. Thank you for being in control of everyone, Lord. Bless the PRC Kids ministry. Let them know that you are God and that they need you, Lord. Thank you for everyone that is present here in this service, Lord. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that you have thought since eternity that we were going to talk about this chapter for Samuel 29, this day, with this people, Lord. Lord, you know our hearts. We can't hide anything from you. You are God. We are not. Lord, talk to our lives. Lord, this is the day of salvation for many, Lord. And all those that profess you as our God, Lord, help us to go deeper in your word and to understand that in many ways in our walking with you, we lack faith, Lord. Thank you for being such a good, kind, patient, and merciful God towards us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. David of Bethlehem, son of Jesse, of the tribe of Judah, shepherd of sheep, and the conqueror of Goliath. David, it's a type of Christ, as we have seen in previous preachings the true anointed king of Israel, a man after God's own heart with many characteristics that point to the true Savior, Jesus Christ. 
But here, David, where is your God? What is wrong with you? Are you a spy? Why do you live, you live with your enemy? Why are you not crying out to your God for help? Is he not your shepherd? Remember Psalm 23? Your savior, your refuge, and your portion in the land of the living. Words that he wrote in many of the songs. Here we find David in the land of the enemies of the Lord, serving a pagan king on the side of God's enemies and about to fight his own countrymen, the Israelites. We have seen that David foolishly decided in his heart to go and live with his enemies, the Philistines, because he was tired of running from Saul. Remember, Saul wanted to kill him. The king of Gath, Achish, gave him a city to live in with his 600 men, each with their own family. You can imagine now it was a humongous amount of people, more than a thousand for sure. In these 16 months, not years, as Achish told the other commanders, in these 16 months, David had committed many atrocities, killing and destroying people in order to gain the trust of King Achish through deception. His shamelessness reached such a point that he managed to be appointed bodyguard of King Achish. Remember we saw that? That was Pastor Juan that reminded us last week. And the meaning of the word bodyguard in this moment is the one who guards my head. Something is wrong here. King Achish named David the one who is going to guard the pagan king Achish head? Had Achish forgotten that David had cut off Goliath's head? Wasn't Goliath from the same city of Gath of which Achish, Achish was king? Chapter 29 tells of a great demonstration of power of the Philistines, Philistine armies. In this section, the writer goes back in time a few days and returns to the events of the story in chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. I'm reading from that now. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. In chapter 29, we see that the army of Israel is camping by the Jezreel Spring and the Philistines at Aphek. For the reader of that time, Aphek was synonymous with a bad omen. If you can remember, if you were here when we saw chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, you can remember now that that's the moment when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, defeated the armies of Israel, and destroyed the city of Silo where the tabernacle was located. 
These disastrous events motivated the leaders of Israel to demand a king like the other nations on the land for the people which resulted in the election of King Saul. This chapter continues describing the display of power that the Philistines have. They were parading. There are thousands of soldiers in front of these five Philistine kings. Philistia was not a nation as such. It was made out of five city-states. They were independent by, they had some relationship. Each of these city-states had its own king. These kings decided to unite in order to fight against Israel's army, and it is in this moment when we see the parade of soldiers who are ready to go to war against Israel. All the Philistine squads begin to march before these commanders. This is the time to see the power that we have. Let's get ready. Each general watches and proudly approves of how well armed they are. Soldiers are armed to fight. When suddenly, in an unexpected moment, and under Commander Akish, the other commanders can't believe their eyes. But what is this? Each one asks, can someone explain to me what these Hebrews are doing here? Church, this is like standing, imagine, at the top of the Kremlin in Moscow, watching the Russian military march on Red Square, commemorating Victory Day, and having a U.S. regiment join them in the midst of the Russian squad. What? They don't go together. They're enemies. Verse 3, what are these Hebrews doing here? The Philistine commanders ask this question because they know that these men are the enemy. Imagine, they are preparing their army. These are the Philistines. They are going against the Israelites. And behind them, there's a group of Hebrews. What? This is very well thought. They're going to put us between both Israelite armies. More surprising still is the response of King Achish in verse 3. And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. This way of expressing himself about David makes it clear that Achish trusted in David completely to the point of defending him and justifying his presence in battle before the other Philistine lords. But the other commanders understood the obvious and conflicting differences between these two nations. They're like darkness and light, oil and water, pagan, believer, church, when a person is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, God gives him a new heart that makes him think, speak, and do what pleases the Lord. And all of us that have walked with the Lord, we understand this. This is noticeable and marks the difference between the children of God and those of the devil. Either 
we belong to God because he adopted us in Christ or we belong to Satan. There's no middle point. And it cannot be otherwise because God established it that way from the beginning. And the beginning is Genesis. I'm going to Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. On verse 15, this is the first time they mention the good news that God would send the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. When Adam and Eve sent, God cursed the serpent and declared to him what theologians call today the Proto-Evangelium, which means the first time the mention of a hope of the good news appears. And interesting, God declares that to the serpent. Verse 4, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, on dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. If you are a true believer, you must recognize that we are in a constant war that will not end until the day we die or until the Lord returns for his children. But Achish, don't you realize what you are saying here? King Achish was completely convinced that David had become a Philistine. David was so involved with the world that he probably couldn't imagine how he would get out of this situation. If you're taking notes, this is the first point of the message. Let us never forget how quickly we fall into sin. David knew God and had heard his word, but he decided not to think about God or, or his word and to not do things that please the Lord. But instead, let me figure it out how to cover myself and to flee away so Saul cannot find me. David's lack of faith produced a hardened heart that prevented him from seeing the light that only the Word of God gives. He had plunged into a sea of spiritual darkness that transformed him into the typical backsliding follower of Christ. At this moment, David, it's exactly like the follower of God who tries to live a double life with one foot in the church and the other in the world. Let me figure it out. I haven't heard anything from the Lord. Let me get good things from the world. And of course, the better from the church, from what we call Christianity. David is looking for a temporary salvation in the Philistines. And at the same time, he's looking for an eternal salvation in God. Like the person who wants to go to heaven and makes a profession of faith, but at the same time wants economic well-being, and for that reason he accumulates money 
and religiously follows the movement of the stock market. Or like someone who wants a lucrative career and compromises his integrity to achieve a better posi position or a better salary. Or one who seeks pleasure and acceptance from the world by indulging in sensual entertainment, but also remembers, oh, I need to go to church on Sundays to guarantee that I can still get to heaven. Double life. The Apostle Paul's, Paul exhorts us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. I read, now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. David's loyalty to the Philistines in return of being accepted by them and enjoying their protection could not continue without first abandoning his loyalty to God. The same thing happens with us who call ourselves Christians. If you want to live a life like the one who the world offers to you, it will be impossible for you to live a life of faith that is required for those who hope to get to heaven through Christ. It's impossible. You can't mix both. The further you go in your sin, the more you will find yourself engulfed in a situation that will eventually require you to make a decision. And you will not know how to get out of that situation you have gotten into, as it happens here with David and the Philistines. Let us never forget how quickly we fall into sin. And point number two, Remember that there is a clear distinction between light and darkness. You would say, well, obvious. A few hours ago, we were sleeping, it was everything dark, and now it's light. What is it that we need to remember? Well, we need to remember because we see with these eyes, and we smell with this nose, and we touch things, but the spiritual things are different. And sometimes we really forget that there are differences between these two worlds. We need to remember that. Though Achish is a naive king who has been deceived by David, the other four commanders know perfectly well that David is not theirs. I'm going back to the scriptures. This is verse 4 on of chapter 29. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, this is Achish, to Achish, send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to the battle, lest in the battle he became an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of these men over here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day 
of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. These five commanders are the highest Philistine authorities. Remember, this is not one country. There are five different cities, states. They are kings, so they are due respect and recognition. I don't believe they were really friends. They have like some type of pact or covenant between them that they need to cover themselves. Achish's response infuriated the other commanders to the point that they abandoned all diplomatic protocol and ordered Achish to immediately remove David with his 600 men and send them back to Siklag. There were many good reasons for making this decision. They say, lest in the battle he, David, become an adversary to us. The use of this world is particular. This is the same word in Job 1.6, referring to Satan, the adversary. And if that were not enough, they continue their reasoning based on the historical relationship between Saul and David. They have a history. People know about these two guys. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord, that means Saul? They thought that David had reason to reconcile with Saul. And the way to buy Saul's favor could be by paying with the heads of this man. Of course, who cut the head of the giant of the land? David. The fame of these two Israelites, Saul and David, among the Philistine people, had reached such a point that they had even learned by heart the victory song that exalted the, two thousand, the thousands and thousands of Philistines that uh, Saul and David had killed. Something is wrong with Achish. Finally, Achish agrees to the request of the commanders and tells David the news personally. He begins, verse 6, with an affirmation in the name of the God of David about the excellent service that he has rendered to him, that there is no fault in him, but that the rulers do not approve of him. Achish gives David three orders. One, go back to Ziklag. Number two, go in peace. And number three, do not displease the, kings, the Philistine kings. Situation here is clear. The Philistine commanders trust, distrust. The Philistine commanders distrust David. They know that he is a good warrior, and therefore they do not want him to go to war with them. Despite his rebellion and lack of faith, God is kind and patient with David, providing a way out through the Philistine commanders who prevent him from going to fight against his own brothers. Achish recognizes the qualities also in David of a good servant and faithful one. Centuries later, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, Do not be equally yoked with unbelievers. And this is what David did with the Philistine. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? 
Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Remember that there is a clear distinction between light and darkness. Never forget how quickly we fall into sin. And point number three, God has always be, been patient with you. Do you believe that? God has always been patient with you. Verse 8, And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Does David's question sound familiar to you? This is the fourth time he says the same thing. Again, David is playing like the innocent victim game here, as he did before with his brother Eliab. Remember the scene when they were looking to the other hill, and Goliath went to the valley and told to the Israelites, send one so we can have a fight. And he brought the little uh, food, the lunch, I guess, to their brothers. And the older brother, Eliab, got so mad and his answer to him was, but what have I done? It happens then with his friend Jonathan. When Saul was looking for him, what have I done? And also with his master Saul, what have I done? As if he hasn't done anything. Sometimes we are so proud of our own plans and reasoning that we cannot see our own foolishness. Achish again flatters David by comparing him to an angel of God. Only twice is God mentioned in this chapter. And it is by the mouth of Achish, the pagan. Something doesn't fit here. David, after God's own heart, why is he so involved with himself? No mention of God, nothing out of, in, of the presence of God. I do this because no one can hide from it. Even he declares in the Psalms. God is present, guiding the hearts of Achish and the Philistine commanders to prevent David from fighting against his people. Oh, the grace of of our God. David remains God's chosen one in his plan of redemption. Who controls the universe? God. He controls it. When God saves a sinner, he saves him forever. In the words of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, in John 10, verse 27 and 28, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. We can't do anything to get it. We can't. God's patience with David should encourage us today and confirm that God always keeps, keeps his promises. Isn't it true? God always keeps his promises. He saves his own and shows his grace even when we rebel because salvation is by grace. Not by works. As we read earlier here, I'm going to read again from Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. David, like us, is neither good nor sinless though Achish finds no faults with him. Three times Achish expresses that he finds no fault in David, when in fact David, like us, did many faults because of his sin of rebellion and lack of faith in God, just like us. We are not different. There is only one that has no fault. His name is Jesus. The one who is truly good is Jesus, no other. After Jesus was arrested, the Jews brought him before Pilate, the Roman governor, for judgment. Pilate expresses three times as well that he finds no faults in the Lord Jesus. This is from Luke, Luke chapter 23, verse 4. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Later, same chapter 23, verse 14. And Pilate said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your char charges against him. And the third time is recorded on verse 22. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. Jesus is the only one without guilt or sin. The consequence of sin is eternal damnation. Do you see the parallel? No one can go to God because we are all sinners. Since Adam and Eve sin, all humanity belong to sinners. And it will be until the Lord returns. All of us are born in sin. That means we are born to be condemned for eternity. That's why the good news that we have in Christ, there is someone that can mediate between us and God. His name is Jesus. You are here because the God, God wants you to be here, believe it or not. He is the ruler by excellence. Unbeliever, the grace and mercy of God is evident today for you. You haven't died. You're still here. 
you came here. You are sitting here right now. This is the opportunity that God gives you to repent. As Romans says, chapter 3, verse 21 and 23, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. If you consider yourself a follower of the Lord, believer, the grace and mercy of God is evident to you as well. Don't waste your day blinded by sin. Embrace sanctification. What in the world is that? Sanctification is the process in which God is holding us in His beautiful and strong arms since He adopted us. And He's taken us day by day, living all kinds of experiences, those that makes us feel so good and all relieved and happy, and also those that makes us cry in desperation and wishing to not be living. God's still holding the believer in His beautiful arms. That's the process of sanctification, because He wants us to make us like his son Jesus. He is the ruler of everyone. He is the ruler of the believer. What we are lacking is faith because we simply don't believe what the Bible says. Thus, that needs to be our con constant prayer. Lord, I need more faith. Embrace sanctification, believer. You know why? God has not finished His work with you yet. You're still alive. Romans 6, verse 22 to 23. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, so he's talking about believers, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Glory to God for Jesus. Let us never forget how quickly we fall into sin. Remember that there is a clear distinction between light and darkness. God has always been patient with you. Despite our rebellion and lack of faith, God in Christ is kind and patient with his children. David finally obeys Achish's instruction and withdraws with his 600 men at dawn. There are some details in the scriptures that have more than the meaning that we can get at the moment. Remember the instructions of Achish is prepare your troops and leave when you see the first light of the day. And he followed the instructions. What a contrast if you were here last week with uh, Saul, King Saul. He went in the cover of the night 
to visit the medium, remember? And he left when it was still night to his defeat and death. These are days before the great battle where the Philistines are going to destroy the armies and Saul and his son are going to be killed. It is my prayer this morning that each of us will come to the light of the gospel. But the word of the Lord is clear that only those who have repented of their sins, have confessed them, and have received salvation in Christ, can be assured of walking in the path lighted by the gospel. Do not live here today in spiritual darkness with a heart darkened by sin. God keeps saving sinners, and you are one of them. Your only hope is Jesus.